0: Yeah. I'm thinking we'll watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation because that's super cute. That'll be fun, and then everyone could just like leave after that's over. Okay. And then, um, yeah, we'll everyone will just be upstairs. It'll be cute. We'll have, I'm making hot cocoa. So we'll have like cookies and hot cocoa. Oh, I do need to go to the store because I need to get cups for the hot cocoa.
1: Yeah, I need to get Brussels. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, we'll go. To, let's just
0: go to like the uh, Smiths right next to the. Okay, warehouse. to the
1: place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. the Brussels will be at Smiths. I hope. I hope.
0: Um, if not. We'll figure it out. Okay, cool. But yes, I'm really excited for now. I love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I love that it's movie. It's so good. And sometime this week, we need to watch The Night Before together because okay. that's our Christmas yes. tradition.
1: Okay, let's start. Let's just jump right into this. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome hey, what's to, up?
0: anyways, How's Your Sex Life? We are your hosts. I'm Channa. Your ho ho host. <laughs> your ho ho host. I'm Channa. <laughs> I'm Corey. And it is 1230, December 16th. So, which means you guys will probably be hearing this in like I don't know six or seven hours. Six or
1: seven hours, yeah. Sorry, I had a dodgeball tournament yesterday that I had to do, so I did it, and we got second place. Yeah, you so, did. So fuck yeah. Mm,
0: mm, mm, mm,
1: mm, mm. Okay. We
0: do have one announcement. Uh-huh. I will let Corey give it. Yeah,
1: I'll <laughs> give it. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a sad announcement, but we need to do it. Um, we've just been getting a little bit busier in our personal lives along with work, and so we're gonna take a step back from the Patreon and give you all the money back in the patreon um i will contact them to see how i can do that but we won't be doing it for december and for for and for sure for january
0: yeah yeah we're hoping to be back like february or march and we're
1: just gone too long too yeah that's a little
0: thing like we are gone for like starting saturday Corey and i both will not be in utah again until january 14th
1: yeah
0: Um, At that point, January is already halfway over, so we wouldn't have time. And then Corey in February um, won't be here as well for a few weekends. And I have a work conference at the end of January. So, like, literally, we will barely be in Utah together at the same time for december and january and potentially february yeah so um so yeah and we're just going to take a t- take a step back we will come back like eventually uh-huh. um it's not going to be like a forever break we'll just keep you guys yeah. posted
1: yeah definitely um so like i will contact patreon on how to give y'all money back for december um and then january like i mean just don't pay for january we'll
0: just pause the patreon i'm sure there's yeah, way for i'm sure
1: we can it. pause it too yeah i hope we can pause charges yeah I'm, I'm sure, sure we can just happen. pause it yeah.
0: but um yeah we'll figure that on our end and we'll just contact you guys um if we need to have you guys do anything on your end but sorry yeah. guys thank you so much for all your support so far like we really have enjoyed doing patreon it's just we like literally will barely be with each other for the next few months anyways everybody um
1: so let's get to faggots let's
0: get to some faggots
1: okay so mine today as i said was the 10 best queer films of the decade. So I'm gonna go off what I have seen, and then I'll make some honorable mentions of ones that I haven't seen that I'm pretty sure would be on people's top ten top tens because I've just heard so much about it and just like always they're like on my watch list but I just haven't got to them. So the first one, um, I'm I'm gonna do the top five and I'm gonna talk talk about the top five for a bit, and then just so y'all don't have to listen to me forever go off about movies, I'll just list the next six through ten. These are listed in order. Oh, okay. The first one is Weekend. So this came out in 2011. Okay. Um, this is for me personally one of the best queer movies ever. Cute. Um, it is very just like focused on two white London bo- gay boys, so it's just very focused on like white gay male. Um, but it was right at the- I-, I watched it like right after I came out, and it was just a very uh, interesting depiction of these two young men just falling in love and it just like the the common trope of unexpected love Mm. when you're just like cool we're gonna have like this one night stand and then they fall in love with each other and Mm. one of them has to leave in like two and for two years like almost indefinitely he has to leave like the at the end of like on monday and they meet each other and it's like a whole weekend of them together falling in love i just it's so y'all like i just watched the trailer and cried like just this morning as i was preparing this cute and I mean, it was, it was directed by Andrew Hay. He does he does looking, and mm-hmm. we've talked about looking on the show, or I've talked about looking before. I say go watch it. If you are, especially if you are a gay male, just, like, go watch this film. It is for you. The chemistry between these two actors is just crazy good. It, it feels like you're just watching real life, but That's in a amazing. cinematic way. Yeah. Um, The shots are great. The cinematography is beautiful. The acting is perfect. The chemistry between the two leads is it's just amazing. I'm sorry. Just, like, it was the first time I saw a queer film, and I was, like... Oh my God! Like that was done well. Yeah. It felt like real life. It was beautiful. You 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 yearn for them to be together, and you like cry when stuff doesn't ha- like happen that you want to happen. Oh. Like it's it's legit. That's a so um, good good movie. Uh, next one is next one is a single man. Uh, Tom Ford director the guy who was the director of the CEO of Gucci. Mm, so he nice. did he directed. This was his first like directorial debut. He directed a single man with Colin Firth and Julianne Moore. Yeah. Do I need to say more? Yeah, period.
0: And. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So this one is based up on uh, Christopher Isherwood, who I did uh, one of my earlier faggot facts on him. He is a, I think he is English. Yeah, English Isherwood. I'm like, he might be (laughs) English.
0: He might be English.
1: (laughs) Um, He's an an English author. Um, He's a gay author, queer author. He wrote many of his uh, books based off, uh, based off of, like, his trips to Berlin and him living in Berlin. And one of them is called A Single Man. Um, this doesn't have to do with that, though. But it's a fictional story that he tells about a man whose uh, husband has died. And he's sort of dealing with that, like, not just the melancholy, but, like, the disillusionment that has set in over the past mm. years since that death. And it's in the 60s and and luckily he's a teacher at Berkeley, I believe it's Berkeley. Mm. Um, So it's like accepted mostly, but like his neighbors and stuff like that don't because it's like the fucking 60s and shit like that. So just him dealing with that and then just finding like love and beauty uh, all around him, like little spots of that.
0: Oh my God. um,
1: Like while he's contemplating doing something bad. Uh, That didn't, I mean, you could probably guess what that, what I'm saying with that. And that's not ruining the movie at all um, or the book. Uh, so go look at, I would watch, I would read the book and watch the movie. The movie's actually very close to the book. The book has a couple more better insights, but the movie is so beautiful. And the way it uses a really good, it uses cinematography very well and nice. like coloring and stuff to depict like the beauty that men bring into his life. Aww. Like colors get more vibrant and sharper <gasps> That's so when pretty. like men come and talk to him. That he's, it's, it's it was so beautiful. Oh God. It, it's literally one of my top three favorite films ever. Moonlight. Oh, yeah. Because Moonlight, duh. I actually haven't seen this. This is actually one of the ones that's in my top five that I haven't seen, but I've heard so much about it and read so many articles about it Don't that you mean I La-La know Land? it will be when I see it. What?
0: Don't you mean La La Land?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason why I haven't seen this is because I have this thing going on in my life where I know there, there's like a bomb ass movie that I need to watch. But I don't just force myself to watch it. I wait until I like wake up one day and I want to watch it. I se- I think I said that like last episode too. Yeah. But it's I- like the same with like There Will Be Blood. Like I haven't seen that mm. Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Like my God. Um, I'll see it like when I want to. Like, you know, when I wake up and when I want to see it. It's that
0: it. mood. It'll hit you. It'll yeah. be that day. It's
1: time. Um, the, the director of Moonlight, that, Moonlight came out in 2017. Single Man came out in 2011, as well as Weekend came out in 2011. And actually, the next two movies on my list also came out in 2017. Oh, okay. So the next one, or that was uh, directed by Barry Jenkins, uh, Moonlight. Uh, he also does If BL, BL Street Could Talk. That came out last year, and it like has a perfect score on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, so I whoa. need to see that as well. Um, good for that movie. Next one is or the, uh, in fourth place. <laughs> Is God's Own Country. That came out in 2017, as well as the ne- as well as the fifth movie. Um it was this is directed by Francis Lee. He doesn't really have anything else you would know that he's done. I think it's one other major uh feature that okay. he's released or just released this year. God's Own Country, y'all, is just like it's about the this is about this English farm boy. Um he's gay. Yes. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> he's straight. He's he's straight. <laughs>
0: this is actually a straight boy movie. He's
1: gay, but I don't think he's like really come to terms with it necessarily because he just like is a sheep herder. Um, in rural uh, England you know UK Um, and so he's there and they hire a farm boy because his dad gets sick and is dying so they hire a farmhand who's also gay a farmhand who is also gay who has a good he is a hot ass Um, he is referred to as a gypsy but then they also bring up the fact that that is uh, derogatory and especially nowadays you can't like it's not uh, correct to use the term gypsy I forget the actual term but Tyler knows it and he's probably saying it right now
0: Tyler, shout out to you. Yeah, he'll text us. As soon as but somewhere Eastern
1: European, um definitely. Like just, uh, just think, just like a, just, God damn, just think of a beautiful man.
0: I'm thinking of a beautiful man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just think of a beautiful ass, like rugged, just like dark haired, curly dark hair. Okay, so this is
0: Corey's dream God
1: damn, man. Goddamn, just like fuck me.
0: So everyone, <laughs> close your eyes and imagine Corey's dream man, so sweaty. This- Harry (laughs) throws you against the fucking uh, wall. Just
1: looks like broods looks at you. Yeah. damn. He's a
0: farmhand, so he has like a really good Mm. build. Like he's, yeah. There's
1: Okay, so this this movie is good. It's not like crazy, crazy good, but it's in my fourth spot just because it has like one of the hottest. (laughs) (laughs) This is just pure spectacle for me. There's (laughs) just one of the hottest scenes where they like, like their attraction to each other, just like the sexual attention comes to like a culmination. And they basically like, legitimately wrestle fight each other in the mud for a second it's so and then the, like the one guy just like flips him on his back and just starts to fuck him and it's hot it's not like rape because it's very like they have a moment yeah. where they're like okay we want this yeah and then he like f- and then they like r- you know super rushedly like flip the other guy on his back and then just start fucking it's stuff whatever
0: <laughs> you're like anyways <laughs> i'll be our be anyways
1: right fat moment yeah <laughs> um Okay, and then number five is Call Me By Your Name.
0: Oh,
1: came out in 2017. Such a sweet movie. Um, it's by uh, Luca Guadalingo. I forget how to pronounce his last name. It's a little different. He also did the Suspiria remake. Oh. You didn't go see that, but damn, it's it's intense. It's really good, but it's like
0: i know how much you love it i
1: wouldn't go see it again it's just so intense <laughs> and then the last the ending is really shitty though i don't there's a lot of cg i don't like it mm. but call me by your name we've all we've all talked about this before it's, it's, so it's good. beautiful it makes perfect. you cry army hammer and what's his timothy name? timothy chalamet yeah. timothy chalamet both beautiful men oh yeah just goddamn beautiful men um timothy chalamet was on the top 10 attractive women or whatever yeah that's true yeah
0: and and he has one of my all-time favorite pictures from 2019 of him making out with lily rose Depp. Oh, yeah. on a yacht and it's like the grossest makeout <laughs> pics but it's so like like oh, you God. know it's like the expectations like a pretty makeout pic and like reality and them, it's blah. so one of those cause it's so nasty <laughs> i love it
1: Um, But yeah, go see Call Me By Your Name. Also, there's like one of the best monologues I've ever listened to in a movie. Yeah. With the father at the end. Yeah. So beautiful. We all
0: cried. Chris almost like moved to Europe because of it. Yeah. It was so good.
1: It's so good. Um, So I'm going to list the next uh, six through ten. So, the uh, sixth is The Way He Looks. It's a Brazilian film. Mm. Um, and it the main character is deaf and falls in love with somebody in his uh, in his school. And they're teenagers. It's Aww, actually really beautiful. Cute. I would like... I mean, all ten of these, I would recommend Go See. Like, if you haven't seen them, Go See. You will not regret it. Yes. Um, I could see people getting tired of the, like, it focused on gay men. I could see that. Um, with that, the next two, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So our uh so we have the way he looked. Go watch that though, because it's like it's it's a Brazilian made film, it's an independent film, it's really good. Just yes. it's fucking good. Tangerine is my number uh seven. Uh Tangerine, it was in 2015 and it was made at super like fucking low budget. I think it was made on an iPhone.
0: Whoa. Um
1: but it won I think it was nominated for Academy Award. I think it maybe I've won.
0: Apple's like, yeah. I don't I don't
1: remember exactly, but it was just shot in a super low budget. So it's about two trans women of color and they are just like going around on Christmas day, I believe, or Christmas Eve day. And they're just trying to get together. They're trying to, like, get their lives together and just have a good time. Just not, like, trying to keep their lives from falling apart. And just everything, like, society and all these people are against them because they're a transgender women of color. Yeah. And they're just fighting at, like, every step of the they're way. They're fighting society. It's funny. Yeah. It's hilarious. You'll tear up. And then you're at the same time, like, gasp and be like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, like, my God. Their lives are hard. I want to so watch it. It's really good. It's a really good movie. Yeah. The It's so, like, it's so fucking hilarious, too. It, it's, it's so fucking hilarious. Okay. Uh, next is blue is the warmest color.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: 2013. Don't need to talk about it. Won't talk about it more. Uh, stranger. Uh, that's that's a lesbian one. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah, go lesbians. Mm. Um, and then my ninth one is a uh, stranger by the lake. Uh, 2013. Um, it is actually sort of like uh, people always call it Hitchcockian. Oh, uh, it's about, oh, It's about oh my god! It's like what would happen to me <laughs> if I went to France and saw somebody get murdered in a lake because they get murdered by a hot ass daddy with a mustache, and then you'd like end up having sex with that person even <laughs> though they even <laughs> though you know they're a murderer.
0: Oh wow! I hope a therapist is <laughs> listening to this. It's like my
1: it's like my daydream, my wet dream. My
0: dream. <laughs> uh,
1: and the last one is how. Um That's just specifically for. Um, So it's about Allen Ginsberg. Um, It's a dramatization of him writing uh, the famous poem, Howl, that came out in 1955. And I would read that poem if you haven't read that poem. Or watch like, I think there's a, somebody did a YouTube video where they did a, um, like, commemoration of the poem. I think you've
0: done a fag effect about the poem.
1: I think I might have. Yeah. Um, Because it's like monumental in court cases of, how how much you can release like is that was it pornography is it too lewd and crass to yeah. be considered art or is it pornography and can it be released to the public um but yeah those are my films um i'm gonna do some honorable quick mentions because i didn't see these films but i think they should probably be on this top 10 list one is can you forgive me that came out in 2017 or 18 it's with uh what's her name gilmore girls she's a comedian now big comedian
0: melissa mccarthy
1: yeah, McCarthy. yeah. What? Uh, I think I think I think she plays it's a it's based on a real life event and a real life person who like did some fraud Mm. and I think that person is is lesbian and so she was dealing with like being lesbian as well and that's part of the film as well I haven't seen it though but I need to see it next one is BPM which is beats per minute need to go see that I think it's a dramatization of act up in France then the next one is tomboy and then the next one is pariah
0: so you guys want to know why we uh, don't have Love Simon on the list?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, guys, honorable dismention. Dishonorable yes. mention dishonorable mention,
0: dishonorable <laughs> <laughs> mention. Love Simon. Fuck, you. fuck that movie.
1: <laughs> We've probably talked about it a couple times.
0: We did, but fuck that movie.
1: Fuck that movie. There are some good talks between the parents and, and Simon, and yeah. I guess people for our age. I don't like it. I'm not. I,
0: Maybe we too. Being queer old. was
1: not that normalized.
0: Not for my high school, I guess for my high school because I was in theater, but like
1: I, I don't know I, I just really didn't enjoy the movie. focus on the straight,
0: yeah, it was like a, it was a movie that was just focused yeah. on straight people With and like the, that featured yeah. a gay guy and that they were just yeah. trying to really like
1: and you could say that normalization of just like, oh hey, yeah, it, it, I just like regardless of the normalization, it's just literally two thirds of that movie, you're focused on whether or not the straight white guy gets to have a girlfriend or not, yeah while Simon might get a boyfriend or not is talking online to an anonymous boy yeah like that should that's not good representation
0: yeah it it, it was not a good movie i and hated love different. simon Corey and i both actually wanted to get up and leave because i was yep. like so like almost offended at the movie because you really thought it was going to be a movie about that focused on actual like i looked down the people. aisle a couple yeah. times to yeah get
1: up i was like i want to leave
0: <laughs> yeah if one of us got up we, i would have been like yes yeah uh-huh. So, so, yeah, dishonorable mention. Love, Simon. Boo. Boo. So, for my spooky scoop, this is actually kind of interesting for you guys. Yeah. So, last week, I mentioned that I was going through um, four, like, safety paths. Yeah. Um, but it ended up being, like, a 45-minute spooky scoop. So, Corey edited it down to I only talked about two. Yes. So, the other two is going to be today's spooky scoop. So, next week's spooky scoop is actually going to be the last um, – domestic violence spooky scoop nice yeah so anyway, so we're just going to edit that straight in from when yeah. we recorded last week so uh, it might sound a little bit different but that's because it's from a different recording session. and we were wasted so and we were wasted. we were wasted pants and now we're sober because so we have a work party we're in an sober, hour
1: worky worky sober
0: yeah we have a work party in an hour and a half anyways here is my spooky scoop Bam. okay the next one is safety planning with pets which is really important for me because i will never have children i'll always have pets So, statistics show that up to 65% of domestic violence victims are unable to escape their abusive partners because they are concerned about what will happen to their pets when they leave. Yeah. Fortunately, there are more and more resources in place to assist with this difficult situation. So, if you're creating a safety plan of your own to leave an abusive relationship, safety planning for your pets is is important as well. Bring, Bring extra provisions for them, copies of their medical records, and important phone numbers. If possible... Don't let your pets alone with the abuse of a partner. If you're planning to leave, talk to friends, family, or your vet about temporary care for your pet. If that is not not an option, um, search by state or zip code for services that assist domestic violence survivors with safekeeping for their pets. Um, You know, always search for your zip code first so it's more localized, uh, but if there are no results, try searching for the state. Um, Again, if there are none of these results... Um, or if they're not feasible for your situation, try calling uh, domestic violence or animal shelters directly. And for help finding an animal shelter, um, just visit the Humane Society website because they may be able to help keep your pet temporarily or find a foster for your pet without adopting your pet out to someone else. Now, if you had to leave your pet behind with your abusive partner, try to ask for assistance from either law enforcement officials or animal control to see if they can intervene. Um, take steps to prove ownership of your pet, have them vaccinated and license um, them with your town, ensuring that these registrations are made in your name and make sure to change them if they aren't. Damn. Because if um, your pets are under someone else's name and you try to get police and stuff involved, they're going to look at all the records and be like, it's under your partner's name. You're trying to steal this animal. <gasps> Now, if you're thinking about getting a protective order, know that some states allow pets to be part of these. Important. Important for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jordan, I will, I, will, I will never... I'm very fortunate. I will never experience an abusive relationship again. Yeah. But for people that are, like, this is really important, especially with pets. Um, and if you've let your partner... Or sorry, if you left your partner, ensure the safety of your pet by changing vets and avoid leading pets outside. There are a lot of cases where you hear about people leaving their domestic abusive relationship and that person comes and steals their pet. You hear it with Amber Alerts, like with children. uh So same things happen with pets. It's just people don't think of pets as kids a lot of the time, so we don't have an Amber Alert system set up for pets. But it happens all the time. Okay, and the last three points, the Animal Welfare Institute offers additional tips for safety planning with pets. Organizations like Georgia-based AHISMA, House in Little Grass Ranch in Texas. Ayo. Ayo. Offer advice for safety planning with animals, especially with non traditional animals like horses that are more difficult to transport. Oh, um, an
1: entire horse. Oh. Red
0: Rover offers different grant programs to enable victims to leave their abusive partners without having to leave their pets behind. Um, the grants must be submitted by a shelter worker. Simone's back. So there are ways. Hi, Simone. Okay, two more categories left. This one I'm going to talk about a safety planning during pregnancy. Pregnancy is a time of change. Pregnancy can be full of excitement. That also comes um, with an added need of support. It's natural to need emotional support from a partner as well as perhaps financial assistance. So you need to help to prepare for the baby and more. Now, if your partner is emotionally and physically abusive towards you, um, it can make these these months of transportation especially difficult. Thankfully, there are resources available to help expecting women get the support they needed for safe, healthy pregnancies. Oh, Simone. Hi. According to the CDC, intimate partner violence affects approximately 1.5 million women each year. Yes, Simone. Whoa,
1: Simone.
0: <laughs> She's like, <laughs> I'm here. Um, and it affects as many as 324,000 pregnant women each year. Pregnancy can be an especially dangerous time for women. An abusive relationship and abuse can often begin or escalate during the pregnancy. So how can you get help? If you're pregnant, there's always a heightened risk during violent situations. If you're in home with stairs, try to always stay on the first floor. Um, Getting into the fetal position around your stomach if you're being attacked is another tactic that can be instrumental in staying safe. Um, Doctors' visits can be an opportunity to discuss what is going on in your relationship. If your partner goes to these appointments with you, Try to find a moment when they're out of the room to ask your care provider or even the front desk receptionist about coming up with an excuse to talk to them one-on-one. If you've decided to leave your relationship, a health care provider can become an active participant in your plan to leave. Um, If possible you can take a women's only prenatal class. Um, This could be a comfortable atmosphere for discussing pregnancy concerns or could allow you to speak to the class instructor one-on-one. Damn. So the key is to try to find moments where you can speak to someone. Yeah. Okay. And the last category I'm going to talk about is emotional safety planning. So often emphasis is placed on planning around physical safety, but it's important to consider your emotional safety as well. Emotional safety can look different for different people. But ultimately, it's about developing a personal plan, a personalized plan that helps you feel accepting of your emotions and decisions when dealing with abuse. Below are some ideas of how you can create and maintain an emotional safety plan that works for you. Okay, so the first one is speak out or sorry, seek out supportive people. A caring presence such as a trusted friend or family member can help create a calm atmosphere to think through a difficult situation and allow for you to discuss potential options. The next one is identify and work towards achievable goals. An achievable goal might be calling a local resource um, and seeing what services are available in your area, or talking to one of our advocates at the hotline. Remember that you don't have to do anything you aren't comfortable with. It, you aren't comfortable with right now, but taking small steps can help options feel more possible when you're ready. The next one is create a peaceful space for yourself. Designating a physical place where your mind can relax and feel safe can be a good option when working through difficult emotions that can arise when dealing with the abuse. This can be this can be a room in your house, a spot under your favorite tree, maybe a comfy chair by a window, or a room with the lights. But the whole point of this is creating a space that is peaceful and safe. The next one is remind yourself of your great value. You are important and special and recognizing and reminding yourself of this reality is so beneficial for your emotional health it is never your fault when someone chooses to be abusive to you and it is no reflection on the great value you have as a person and the last one is remember that you deserve to be kind to yourself taking time to practice self-care every day even if it's only for a few minutes really creates a space for peace and emotional safety it is healthy to give yourself emotional breaks and step back from the situation sometimes. In the end, this can help make the decisions that are best for you. So this is a very emotional spooky scoop, but um, all the categories that I went through are are different types of safety planning. So whether you, you are with an abusive partner or living with children or pets or you're pregnant or it's just emotional safety planning, there are... A lot of key points in this that I'm sure resonate with a lot of people yeah. and are important to remember. But I think like above all, like the summary is just remember how important you are in the safety of you and your child and or pets. And like the most important thing to remember when you are in an abusive situation is your own safety and your yeah. own health, whether it's physical or emotional, because it might not always be physical. And that's what I've gone through the past few Spooky scoops is it's not always physical. Like Mm-mm. it could be emotional, and that's equally as horrific as physical. Yeah, because just the impact that it has on you. And just try to stay safe and try to talk to someone, talk to a friend, talk to a health care provider, talk to someone so you have a resource. And if it's with your child, they're going through it too. Talk to them, but yeah. make sure to use correct phrases.
1: Yeah, that was a good awakening, the one, the like LGBT one. Like, I mean, because I can wrap my head around that better. Yeah. Of just like the, um, you're not man enough or you're not woman enough. You're, you're, you're too gay or you're not gay enough or you're not queer or lesbian enough. Yeah. That, like mental, uh, like emotional abuse. Yeah. Where it's like, fuck. But
0: yeah, like it, it happens. And, uh, if you go through the last two episodes that we've had, I go through the first episode, I go through statistics for, um, for like all relationships. And then the next episode specifically for the LGBTQ community, which is where we got the community. (laughs) Um, But it happens like emotional abuse and physical abuse happens. Um, Chances are, you know, someone that has gone through it. Yeah. I mean, I've gone through it. Like you are listening to someone right now who has seen their mom go through it, who has been through it themselves. And it happens to everybody around you and this path to safety is so crucial to hear and understand. And that is why I did not summarize this because I don't want to tell someone wrong information.
1: Yeah. My
0: worst nightmare is giving you an information and using that and you get hurt. Like the hotline.org is such an amazing resource for you to go, go to, um, if you feel like you've been in a situation or if you feel like you know someone that's in the situation, they have phone numbers. They have type to talk chats that you can talk to. They have so many different resources that you can get in contact with to help you through these situations. And if you don't want to go through the .org, just simply go on the Internet and search for domestic violence um, organizations in your area. And they'll be able yeah. to help you because there are resources everywhere and you are not alone. You are not. And that's the most important thing to remember is you may feel like you're alone in that moment, but you're not. You have people and no matter what, you do have me and Corey. Okay, so today is episode 55, which means a combo episode. So we're doing a little combined double penetration for you guys. Uh And I am actually going first today. So we are talking about The Shining and Dr. Sleep and all of that good stuff. Because, you know, we love movies, we love horror, mm-hmm. so might as well talk about it. And it's kind of relevant because Doctor Sleep just came out.
1: Yeah, I don't talk much about Doctor Sleep.
0: But uh, it's relevant because, you know, The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, here we go. Uh, so in October of 1974, yes. I need to put on my glasses. I'm yeah. so fucking blind, but it, it hurts with the... Uh,
1: I've like the chair my I'm like half sitting on my chair and like one of the legs is like up my ass right now.
0: <laughs> You're like coming. <laughs> it's as I'm super talking.
1: comfortable.
0: <laughs> See, I think I just rubbed off half of my foundation. Okay. Yes. In October of 1974, Stephen King was in Boulder, Colorado, and was struggling with writer's block when locals suggested that he visited the Stanley Hotel just to help clear his mind cuz it's in a really isolated area. So on October 30th, Stephen King and his wife, Tabitha, they checked into room 217 at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. So the hotel was closing for the winter season. So they were the last people who actually checked in for that year. So much so that the um, like the credit, like the machines were closed. They had to pay in cash because the receipts were already done for the whole year. Oh,
1: my God.
0: So after checking in, Tabitha and Stephen, they were served dinner in a empty dining room accompanied by old-timey orchestra music. It was just them in a completely empty dining room. It was spooky AF. After Tabitha, she decided to go to bed and uh, Stephen King roamed the halls. He eventually found his way to a bar where drinks were served by a bartender in a suit named Grady. Yeah. After a few drinks, he continued walking through the hotel And he was starting to get inspired by the size of the hotel, the remote location and the overall spooky factors and the spooky AF halls of him being completely alone in a hotel while it's closing for winter. Um, So he just felt completely alone in a massive hotel. So he found his way back to his room and he went into the bathroom. He looked at the clawfoot t- tub and he pulled back the pink curtains and he thought to himself, what if somebody died here? Oh, God. <laughs> Obviously, the thoughts that Corey and I have when, when we go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and he immediately knew like he was starting to get a book idea. So he went to sleep just kind of thinking about it. Um, And then he had a really vivid nightmare. So in an interview, King says, and I have him quotes, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming, and he was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk sweating all over within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, and sat in a chair looking out the window at the Rockies. And by the time my cigarette was done, I had the bones of the shining firmly set in my mind. Yes. Yes. Three years later, The Shining was published and became the third greatest success of Stephen King's career after Carrie in Salem's Lot. So let's go into the hotel and what actually like inspired The Shining. Uh-huh. So Freeland Oscar Stanley, he was an American inventor, entrepreneur, hotelier, and architect. He made his fortune in the manufacture of photographic plates, but he's best remembered as the co-founder, along with his twin brother, Francis, of the Stanley Motor Carriage Company, which built steam-powered cars up until the 1920s. Okay. So he was rich. AF. Well, you should gather from that. And really fucking smart. So in 1903, Stanley got super sick with tuberculosis, just like everybody else. Um, at the time, the most recommended treatment was fresh air. Oh, sorry, fresh, dry air with lots of sunlight and a hearty diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decided to go to the Rocky Mountains to get better. So he and his wife, Flora, they arrived in Denver, Colorado in March. And in June, on the recommendation of Dr. Sherman, Grant, and Bonnie, they relocated to Estes Park, Colorado for the rest of summer. Okay. Over the course of that season, his health improved dramatically. Um, he was so impressed that he decided to come back every single um, summer. Um, Estes Park actually like cured him. He ended up living, this is a side note, he ended up living until he was 91 years old. Whoa, and he nice. just died of a heart attack um one year after his wife which is kind of cute. Cute. Anyway, so by 1907, 4 years after his first visit, he was completely healed. He no longer had tuberculosis. He was in remission amazing that didn't really happen people like died and shit wow okay so it's pretty incredible um he wanted to continue living there um during the summer but he was really tired of like the rustic accommodation the lazy pastimes the relaxed social scenes of um, their new summer home so he was like what if i turn estes park into a resort town and i bring east class cl- uh, east coast class slash social scenes here so yeah. it's like a home away from home so with that he began construction of the hotel stanley which was a 48 grand 48 room grand hotel that catered to the class of wealthy urbanites who composed of stanley's social social circles back in the east coast nice as well as he wanted to create a place for people who were suffering with tuberculosis to come and heal and get better so it was like a double whammy for rich people and for sick people okay over the next three years stanley built a hydro plant that brought electricity to all of estes park um, he bought he, testes park testes park he uh, built his hotel a concert hall that he dedicated to his wife and it was actually a gift for his wife and a manor was completed um, to get people from the nearest train um, to the hotel he also invented mountain wagons which were steam-powered cars that seated nine to twelve passengers okay um, stanley operated the hotel every single summer and alt- until 1926 when he sold it to a private company so they could run it however that company was like shitty af um, and they failed and filed for like bankruptcy Ooh. and so stanley actually repurchased that property in 1929 so just three years later um, and the resort remained open every summer until 1983 and that's when they switched to being open year-round got it and still open to this day So let's go into some more detail about what the hotel looks like and just some overall hotel details to, like, paint this picture for you guys. So the 47-acre Stanley Hotel National Register Historic District. it's a mouthful. 47 acres. Huge. It contains um, 11 structures, including the main hotel, the concert hall, a carriage house, manager's cottage, goat house. uh, gatehouse and the lodge the lodge is a smaller bed and breakfast that used to be the manor that he originally built mm-hmm. so upon opening in 1909 the hotel was one of the first in the country to be fully electrified and every single guest room even had a telephone and each and like every two rooms sh- had an shared an ensuite bathroom with running water Got it. which is like crazy because <laughs> it's early 1900s yeah. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Stanley's goal was to bring the elite East Coast social scene to SD's Park. So we made sure the hotel was posh AF, was extra as fuck. Yes. Like no expense spared. Like he dropped that money. He wanted to make it luxury. Um, fun fact, Stanley was obsessed with making the hotel as healthy as possible. Because he wanted to help other people that were sick with tuber- tuberculosis and he was cured there. Yeah. Um, in fact, doctors from around the country would actually send sick patients to the Stanley Hotel to get better. It was never a hotel like filled with sick people, and Stanley didn't want the hotel to be thought of as like a sanatorium or anything like spooky, but he did help a few people get better, which okay. was pretty cool. So nice. like he did he was a good guy. So the main building, there's four floors and a basement. And the floor plan of the main hotel was designed to accommodate the various activities popular with the American upper class and was decorated accordingly. You know, there was a music room, which was used for letter writing during the day and music at night. Since this was a feminine room, it was designed with light colors, soft textures, you know, pillows and soft couches, feminine artwork. Yeah, very sexist because only like the women went there. Like, this is the women's room. In contrast, there is a smoking room for men, which was connected to the billiards room. And this room had cigars, whiskey, bitches. It was just covered in dark woods, (laughs) masculine furniture, masculine artwork, whatever else you can imagine that like a 1910s rich man would have. It was only for the man. Stanley didn't smoke or drink because, you know, he just got cured from tuberculosis, but he did love playing billiards. Um, this room that I'm referring to right now is actually the whiskey bar. So if you go into the hotel now, it's the whole bar. And that bar looks identical to the bar on The Shining.
1: That's cool. Um,
0: They even have a special cocktail that's named Red Rum Punch. Fuck yeah. Which is delicious. Someone
1: sent us a picture of you drinking your Red Rum Punch at that place.
0: Right. So they, this hotel had grand staircases, French doors, large windows, steam laundry. Do they still the, have the pussy room? The infamous elevator. I think the pussy room is probably just like a piano room now. The pussy room pink now.
1: room. <laughs> I just imagine it looking like the inside of a vagina. Yeah. It's, it's not, all yeah, furry and pink.
0: Yeah, it's just furry <laughs> and pink. And like, you just have to talk in high voices. Yes. It, it. The hotel is just perfectly decorated sitting in guest rooms. It was luxurious. Like, just think in your head of the most bougie like 1910s hotel you could imagine and that's what it is now when it originally opened it had 48 guest rooms in 1916 the east wing opened it added several more guest rooms and even more extra af rich people activity rooms in 1921 a gift shopped open and then in 1983 um a service tunnel was excavated connecting the basement level corridor to the staff entrance so the whole moral of that is it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and so now it's this grand huge hotel so the hotel grounds equally extra af there's horseback riding car rides car races golf wildlife tours Club, club another club another club another
1: sex dungeon
0: again Every single activity that you imagine rich people did in the, in you know, 1910. Yeah, that's there. Like, Croquet. name it. It's there.
1: <laughs> Croquet and taking money from the poor.
0: Yeah, it's there. <laughs> and then, like, eventually, like, if you've seen Dirty Dancing, like, they go to a really bougie resort in the 1960s. All of those activities that happen in Dirty Dancing happened here as well. Like, dance classes, <laughs> yes. crafting, just, like, shit like Pottery
1: that. Pottery with ghosts.
0: So this is a really fun fact that I actually love about this hotel. Um, in 2015, a large maze was added to the hotel to really connect the hotel to The Shining yes. because the maze didn't exist yeah. when Stephen King stayed there.
1: Well, and the outer shots of, are not the same hotel.
0: Yeah. No. And so they actually added a ginormous maze to the hotel as like a nod to The Shining. And the maze is yeah. almost identical to the one like it's in the movie. It's smaller because the one in the movie is massive, yeah. but it's smaller, but it looks almost identical. It's really cool. Fun fact off of that, I follow this uh, Instagram makeup blogger girl. Her uh-huh. name's Lizbug. She's amazing. You should actually all look at her because she does really creepy, cool makeup. Um, but she was sent to the Doctor Sleep premiere because they premiered it at the at the hotel. And so she stayed at the hotel for like a few days. Uh. And she went through the maze. And it's so fucking cool, you I guys. Go. It's so fucking I cool. I want to just go and go
1: through the maze and then be like, bye.
0: Yeah. It's like she went through it and she was like – because she loves The Shining. She was like, this is fucking Ooh, The I Shining. I have
1: a lot of fun facts about The Maze.
0: So famous people who have stayed at the Stanley Hotel. um, You probably don't know who any of these people are (laughs) because these are all old people. But they're like noted because everyone's like, these are the famous people that stayed here. So I'm like, okay, they're obviously important to some people. 1934, Eric Fromm. He's a German psychoanalyst. He stayed there. 1936, Governor Landon. He's a Republican in Kansas. Okay. He he was there. He actually ran for president against uh Franklin D Roosevelt.
1: And obviously he lost. Uh
0: 1974, Stephen King. Okay. Stayed there. Stayed in room 217. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. 1976, Bob Dylan stayed there nice. during like a Rolling Thunder revenue tour. Review tour? I don't know. 1994, um, Emperor Akihito of Japan, Empress <laughs> Machiko and Crown Prince Naruhito on a state visit to the U.S. Yes. 1994, Dumb and Dumber cast and crew, including Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, because they filmed some parts of Dumb and Dumber at the hotel. Oh, cool. And then 1996, um, the Shining miniseries cast and crew, including yes. Rebecca de Mornay and Stephen Weber stayed there. Were there, yeah. So if you guys know who those people are, probably cool for you go yeah. i know like three of those people Stephen king bob dylan dumb and dumber cast
1: dumb and dumber cast yeah. so let's
0: get into some of the hauntings so even though like one of the cre- greatest horror films of all time got inspo from the hotel like the ha- the hotel isn't really that haunted yeah it's pretty basic like there's nothing that you're like oh my god yeah, wow It's like creepy yeah it's just more like ooh. yeah cool sad so, and I was really bummed because I did all this history. Like, I was really getting excited, you know, getting horny, waiting for these crazy-ass hauntings. Yeah. But, like, but the no. history wasn't dark enough for any hauntings. So, I was like, okay, well, like, maybe there's hope. Yeah. So, these are just some of the hauntings. So you're able to see um, there's sightings of Stanley, you know, like the builder, the the OG owner of the hotel. He has been reported in the former billiards room, which is now the whiskey bar. Um, although the tables are now gone, you can still hear the sounds of balls like crashing together and breaking. I love that. Uh, if you smell roses, that means his wife Flora is around you because she Aww, always had cute. the scent of roses. Um, she also pinches guests or runs an icy finger down their spine to make Ooh, them stand up straight because she was obsessed with posture.
1: Oh, wow. And um, you can
0: also hear her playing the grand piano because she loved playing the piano. In um, room 217, this is the room that Stephen King stayed in. Um, Elizabeth Wilson or Miss Wilson she was a maid at the hotel she walked into room 217 to like do some maid shit and something exploded and uh, she ended up being stuck under rubble for more than three hours presumed dead but she was actually alive she miraculously survived Um, and she lived for a few more years before eventually dying. Uh, But it is said that her ghost still now stays in room 217. I guess she's like crazy conservative. So whenever an unmarried couple stays in the room, they can feel an ice cold presence sleep Uh. between them.
1: Ew. Um, And
0: she'll even pack up all of their belongings and place them outside of the room because she hates unmarried couples. She's like
1: ringing a bell. She's like, shame. Yeah,
0: literally. (laughs) And if you're single, like she will not let you stay in the room. Like you have like a married straight white couple has to stay in the room or she like throws you out out. yeah
1: jesus christ karen
0: yeah fucking emily elizabeth wilson
1: aka karen aka karen
0: (laughs) so the fourth floor has a lot of activity um guests can hear children like run along the floor laughing Mm -hmm. playing balls being thrown etc if you stay on the fourth floor this part is actually the only creepy part
1: oh wait 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 didn't didn't something explode
0: that something exploded in room 217, which made Elizabeth Wilson. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um. Oh, and this fourth floor is, like, where all the, like, the nurseries used to be yeah, and stuff. Yeah, Like, all the nannies and stuff. So, if you stay on the fourth floor, people actually wake up to find that their door is wide open and a child is standing in the doorway, just staring at you Fuck wide off. eyes. Um, and then as soon as you start to get up, it just disappears. Or if you say Fuck something, off, it just disappears in front of your eyes. Um. And then there's an ice house because, you know spooky so before indoor refrigeration there was a building that just stored ice and shit um billy who's a friendly ghost he spends most of his time around the ice house um legend says that billy used to be a kind shy boy with dark brown hair he died on the property and he still haunts it but he's like a cute little fun like casper the friendly ghost type of ghost Um, people can spot him in photos he always appears like a misty figure Um, but he's also known to follow people around and play with kids like he's a he's a chill ghost also in the ice house is a spirit of a ginormous man with a long, bushy beard. That's scary. So I have some cute hauntings. This is actually the last thing I'm going to say because this is adorable and I this is fun. Cute. It warmed my heart. On the hotel grounds, there is a pet cemetery not related to Stephen Unrelated King's. to
1: Stephen King's <laughs> pet cemetery. Yeah,
0: just a pet cemetery, <laughs> but it was actually there while he stayed there. So nice. I maybe got some in-spell. Nice. Two pets specifically haunt the hotel grounds. Oh my God. Are you ready for this, yes. Corey? yes cassie who's a golden retriever oh no. paws oh at your door to play fetch with Gus, and it brings you like the morning paper that's all i want and it just like follows I want you a around ghost
1: golden retriever yeah named cassie name cassie and
0: then there's a fluffy white cat whose name is comanche no. and it is a little cat spirit who just wanders around being a ghost kitty so it just like sits there probably throws up on you it's and like, shit and purrs. yeah <laughs> so cassie and comanche are the two those balls ghosts. against your door at night and they are pretty active. Like, people see them or, or play with them or hear them all the time. Like, the little bell on their collars. Aww. And, like, you always will hear the golden retriever pawing at your door because he wants to play. That's so cute. So, that is the history of the Stanley Hotel and yeah. the hauntings. Not super interesting, but kind of informative. Yeah. Let's get
1: into my uh, story now. Yes, Daddy. Uh, my part. I'm going to talk about The Shining. And I'm going to talk about the intense stuff that went on while filming The Shining. And some cool little theories and tidbits and facts about the movie. Um, if y'all just before I continue on, I guess I'll say it later. Never mind, I'll lay that part out. Okay. Well, l- before we get into the actual filming, I need to talk about there's a big feud that most people probably know about between Kubrick. Uh, so The Shining was, um, was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Um, y'all know him. Yeah. Uh, Two thousand one Space Odyssey. You know, you got it.
0: The movie that everyone has to watch, but it's so fucking boring. Yeah. But it, you have to watch it if you appreciate film because it is a great movie, but
1: fuck. But fuck, it goes on forever. It's so long. <laughs> it's really fucking good, though. It's but really good, but it's you so... You don't want to watch it all the time. Yeah. Okay. Before they even started doing The Shining, Kubrick was actually... Uh, wanted to make horror before he did... Um, he did the movie before he did *The Shining*, mm. and he even was uh, uh, thought to be the director for *The Exorcist* for a while. Ooh, yeah. And he was like in in like the talkings of being the director, and he even like said to to people early on, he was like, "Yeah, I want to do it. Like, I want to do horror. Blah 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 blah." So that's when he landed on *The Shining* because he um did. So while he while King respected uh Kubrick's works, of course, because how could you not? uh Kubrick did not like his writing though there's actually a comment where uh Kubrick talked about king's writing being just like not that great and uh just like a little flat and weak rude uh, he, like he literally called king's writing in quotes weak <laughs> um it, okay. it, it, when he took up the thing to do the shining um he wanted to do it and king actually sent him an entire script of the film ad- adaptation and was like, "Hey, here's a script that I wrote, adapting my book to film. Yes. Like this will if this helps or whatever." And so he gives it to Kubrick, and he doesn't even read it. And then oh. he spends like eleven months writing the book with this female author that that was like big at the time. So that's cool that a female author was like involved in writing the screenplay. Yeah, but he literally just didn't. He never even read the. That's entire so screenplay. rude. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, Oh my
0: God, I would lose it if I was Stephen King.
1: Yeah, so this sort of like started their feud, I guess. Um, King at one point called the movie after it came out a big, beautiful Cadillac with no engine inside of it. He basically compares the difference between the book and the movie, um, how uh, like between fire and ice. He thinks his movie has a lot more heart and focuses a lot better on the downfall and the psychological break of Mm. the character uh, of Jack Torrance. Um, whereas like the movie Jack Nicholson, he actually had a problem with the casting of Jack Nicholson, too, because he thought Jack Nicholson was already too crazy at the beginning because mm. he sort of is. <laughs> yeah,
0: because he is. It's not like he goes crazy and you're like, yeah.
1: Yeah. You're like, well, we saw that coming. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, duh. yeah.
1: And he thought like the heart and like the power and emotion that came from his book was how Jack Torrance is trying so hard to be a good man at the beginning. And like the downfall is more impactful because he starts out at such a good place and then goes to a bad place Yeah. where Jack Nicholson like starts out at a like, are you okay, bro? Yeah.
0: Like he's kind of like a shitty, <laughs>
1: like I don't want to, yeah. Like the white boy in class that you're like nice to. Yeah. Like, no,
0: <laughs> but uh, Jack Nicholson did a phenomenal job. though. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Definitely end. besides the point. Yeah. Like he, he did. A, yeah. A phenomenal job. Um, So after that, also in 1983, uh, there's a like famous article from Playboy uh, where they're talking to King about The Shining, um, and he goes, "I admitted Kubrick for a long time had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed in the end result. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fell flat." Um, So I think to this day he still doesn't like it, and that's why he did that adaptation that you referenced Mm. um, in 1996 or seven. Yeah, the mini series. Yeah, the mini series. Okay, so let's get on to the filming. Um, so let's talk about the maze uh, while they were filming. So um, the maze itself was made of plywood boxes with chicken wire stapled to them and hedge branches woven into the wires. Oh. So it's not like a real hedge maze that they did. I mean, I guess they basically, yeah, they made a, they made a maze. Yeah. Um, but it's not like 100% real. But of course, it's a movie. The set was super huge, and while the crew and cast were given maps of the maze, they frequently became disoriented and got lost in the maze. And when they would uh, like get lost and shout for help because they like didn't have a map or whatever, sometimes Kubrick would get on the loudspeakers and laugh at them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, like, he's a I know he's a little crazy. Yeah. When he directed The Shining.
1: Oh yeah, he's a little crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he's all and then he's crazy about takes just in general, and we'll get to that. Um, to make the maze, also they used 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam to Whoa. make the snow Whoa. to put together. Yeah. Uh, there's also one special effect in the film, and the only special effect in the film is when Wendy, or like you know what, it, it, like goes to the model of the maze, and Jack goes and looks at the model of the maze, and then it zooms down into uh Danny and what's her name? I can't think.
0: Danny and Wendy.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I can't think of Wendy right now. Um, Wendy and it like zooms down into Danny and Wendy yeah Um, that's like the only special effect in the film and they did that by Kubrick uh, climbed on top of to the top floor of an apartment building that overlooked the outdoor set and then he filmed the zoom shot while the doubles of Wendy and Danny were like in like you know playing in the hedges Mm. Um, and then it was basically matted and put like cut and edited and matted on top of a shot as it zoomed in Mm. it was really cool um cool. sorry, I've always just wondered how they did that shot and so that's why I put that in there. That's really cool. I'll try not to get too like film nerdy about it. It's chill.
0: But it's fun.
1: Yeah. Also, how we just brought up Kubrick was a little is a little crazy. And when he does his yeah. movies, and he also is like notorious for doing multiple, multiple, multiple takes of shots, which is very grueling for any actor and, he's and crew.
0: Very mean <laughs> to the yeah, actors. Yeah, very
1: mean. Um, so in 1978, Kubrick explained his reputation for the takes. He said it happens when actors are unprepared. You cannot act without knowing dialogue. If actors have to think about the words, they cannot w- work on the emotion. So you end up doing 30 takes of something, and you still can see the concentration in their eyes. So you just shoot it and shoot it. and hope that you can get something out of the pieces. Um, And with this, one of the takes specifically that they had to do, I'll get to the famous one. But before I get to the famous one, there is one where Jack had to do a scene of chopping the door down. That one of the famous ones. Yeah. Um, Not the one where he does here Johnny, but when it like shows him chopping it from his side of the room um it took three days for them to do that he did he went they did like i think 47 takes or something like that or whatever and he went through 60 doors holy shit <laughs> um so now let's see the shelly duvall this is the, the famous thing. one so this is the famous one well, i'll get to the take eventually but i need to like set up the story a little bit more about shelly duvall um so before i get to her too a lot of people claim who are like on set claim that this is a fabrication Really? And it's like an exaggeration of what went on.
0: I just need to take a picture of how I see you right now. Oh, okay. it's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, hi. Because <laughs> it's one eye. It's like. Uh...
1: Um, also, though, the, uh, there are quotes of like how, there are quotes from Shelley Duval of how Kubrick treated her so it's basically like Shelley duvall versus some people on set who knows you know or and then just like r- you know rumors from the internet for the past few decades because this is such an iconic film yeah so who knows i g- take this as a grain of salt i guess um so the tr- stress of playing wendy gave Shelley duvall a nervous breakdown and nervous exhaustion and she was sick and had he- health effects and even lost her hair was losing her hair that's real yeah it um, was crazy Kubrick was is reported constantly being rude and dismissive to her on set often telling her that she was wasting everyone's time because she was so bad and then even known it's even known and reported that he would instruct the crew members to not show any compassion to her or be like respectful of her just be like fuck off girl like we don't like you. Uh, It is said either he was just doing that because he was mean or he was also doing that as part of the act so that it would make her look like disheveled and uh, stressed out and just like on the brink of insanity, which it did, which it did (laughs) because she's she's great.
0: Good job. (laughs) And She's like, thanks.
1: Um, She even in one of the articles that I read, she said that she was even uh, cried so much that she had to keep water bottles nearby to stay hydrated. Oh, fuck. Um, So now we'll get to the like the famous scene that we talked. We mentioned earlier a little bit. There is a scene where Wendy's swinging the axe as she's walking backwards up the staircase. And then uh, Jack's trying to like, yeah, you know, like jumping at her and stuff like that. Um, They did that uh, take. There's it's a reported 27 or like 47 to 127 takes.
0: Jesus Christ. Um, Some
1: reports were in the like the 20s and then the others went up to 127 takes. Um, It's in the Guinness Book of World Records because of that. (laughs) And and it is uh, for the scene for the most takes of a scene with spoken dialogue. Um, you can just see her. You can see her cry- crying. She, her eyes are red and her nose is red from actual real crying because yeah. she's so fucking done with doing this take. But, like, Stanley and everyone's just yelling at her. And, like, you need to do this. Like, you're going to do the shot or we're not going home. Like, you're not doing it right. Just, <sighs> like, totally mentally abusing her.
0: Yeah, they mentally abused her. I mean, it's, the like, it's, it's pretty crazy and yeah. very sad the whole situation
1: um one a uh, quote from her in like on reflect of this whole thing um <laughs> fuck that end quote <laughs> yeah fuck that <laughs> so she goes from may until october i was really in and out of ill health because of stress of the role was so great stanley pushed me and prodded me further than i've ever been pushed before it's the most difficult role i've ever had to play <laughs> um so towards the end of shooting a fire broke out um and destroyed multiple sets Uh, most of what was filmed is filmed on sets inside and then outside it's actually not the stanley hotel um uh it is i forget what it was called my bad i I think it might be in here somewhere
0: (laughs) but it's not but it's not
1: (laughs) according to the set the set still photographer uh, he says it was a huge fire in there one night massive fire we never really discovered what caused the fire that burned it down uh, it burned down two sound stages and threatened a third on El- on the Elstree Studios. It was an 11 alarm fire. It was huge. Um, end quote. It said the rebuilding of one of these sound stages costed an estimate $2.5 million. <gasps> so it burned through $5 million at least. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, there's a famous picture um, of Kubrick laughing in front of this wreckage. Um, probably uh, like from the madness of it all, yeah. Um, but then also the irony because at the end of The Shining, the book, it burns down. Uh, the hotel burns down. Spoilers.
0: Fun. <laughs> Spoilers. Um. <laughs> That's fun. That I that I know what picture you're talking about.
1: Okay, so now I'm just gonna go through some like random facts that are like more sporadic than anything else. Uh, there's a fact that Jack Nicholson improvised the line. Here's Johnny. Um, And that Kubrick, because he really just liked being in London and like being his like London self, he never knew about the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson (laughs) um, and that he would say, here's Johnny. And that's why Jack Nicholson just randomly madlibbed it. Or what do you say? Improved it? Improved it. Yeah. Improv the line, here's Johnny, because it was never in the script to say, here's Johnny. Um, So uh, they almost didn't put it in. And Stanley Kubrick didn't really like it that much because he wasn't familiar with the talk show. Um, But everybody was like, no, keep it in. That's, like, really good. It's, like, a really scary, crazy take on saying here's Johnny when everybody else knew it was, you know, from, like, a late show. Um, Or the Tonight Show, sorry. Also, like, as a crazy-ass character, Jack Nicholson uh, forced himself to eat only cheese sandwiches during shooting, uh, which was months and um, he and he did it specifically because he hates cheese sandwiches. Oh
0: my god, <laughs> um, that's fun. Also,
1: the elevator take. This is like a sort of antithesis to how many takes things uh, took with actors. The elevator scene, that iconic, awesome, the, the iconic... blood coming out of the ele- elevator scene, only took three takes to get right, and then he was like, "That's good."
0: <laughs> Everyone's like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, "It took them." Uh, it took them over the space of almost a year to get those three takes though because they would like do it once and then sort of corroborate on like what to do again yeah um or like how to do it better the next time and then how to set everything up and do it so it took a long time to get those three takes but they only three takes (laughs) worth it because (laughs)
0: that is probably one of the most iconic it's so cool in film period and
1: and it's in slow-mo and every time you watch it you're like horrified and then it lasts so long that you can be like how the fuck did they do that yeah that's so cool
0: it's so yeah, it's incredible.
1: As Channa has said before, uh, the book, the room in the sh- in the book, The Shining, and also the one that Stephen King uh, stayed in is Room Two Seventeen, um, not Two Thirty Seven, because in the movie it's Room Two Thirty Seven. Yeah.
0: Ooh, I have a fun fact about that. Oh yeah. The Stanley Hotel actually made them force them to change it. OK, well, so
1: what I have is the is the Timberland, the Oregon Timberland Lodge also requested it because that that's the lodge where they did the out the out exterior takes.
0: So maybe both did because So
1: maybe they did, we're probably mixing up some facts. I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. But
0: I mean, it's possible that both hotels did it because yeah, the Stanley Hotel demanded it because they didn't want people to. Because people already request like room two seventeen like enough, but they didn't want people to like think two thirty seven. Oh, it's actually haunted. They yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, that that that's yeah that. Yeah. <laughs> One of my last facts is that the phrase "all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy." Um, Kubrick specifically requested that when it was translated to different languages that it, it say something different, so it makes really? sense in their language, or it like you know is as repetitious or melodic or whatever. Um, so I'm gonna go through what some of them say in german it says don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today in spanish translation is although one will rise early it won't dawn sooner and in italian it is he who wakes up early meets a golden day so those aren't as in like all work scary. and no play makes johnny Dull is, Boy way, is way way, is scarier. way 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 fucking scarier <laughs> can you imagine
0: walking up with your partner and he like see like hundreds of pieces of paper that says that i'd be like we're fucked
1: yeah like that i would be scared um so last last little random fact i didn't know this actually i would never heard of this fact i've heard of like half of these facts half you know halfway or stuff like that through the years um i haven't heard of this at all but apparently the movie was released with an with more ending and really and the first weekend it only showed that ending and then it was cut out so what it shows is i'm going to read this directly from a website it says the film version is uh, the film version is lost, but pages from a screenplay do exist. The scene takes place after, after Jack dies in the snow. Ullman visits Wendy in the hospital. He tells her about the things you saw at the hotel end quote or, uh, they told me that they've gone over the place with a fine tooth comb and they didn't find the slightest evidence of anything at all out of the ordinary. end quote. He also encourages Wendy and Danny to stay with them for a while. The film ends with text b- over black. The Overlook Hotel would survive this tragedy as it had so many others. It is still open each year from May 20th to September 20th. It is closed for the winter. So, yeah, people just really thought that it took out, just um, so sort of took the impact of the story away um, and how it could be psychological or there are really ghosts. And yeah. it just like sort of did too much for the um, viewer. Yeah. Um, and so they took it out. After the first, that's but like people move. who saw it that first r- weekend release, like saw that.
0: Damn, that's which crazy. is cool.
1: Yeah. So also, I'm just gonna like I'm not gonna go into it deep because they did. There's an awesome documentary about this, and I think y'all should just go watch it instead of listen to me. Um, there's a documentary uh, called Room 237, um, and it is literally a entire documentary, two hour documentary that talks about all the different theories surrounding uh, the making of The Shining and the interpreting uh themes of the shining and it's really 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 fucking cool i'm gonna just go into one uh i'm gonna go into two really quickly yeah do it so uh just to close one of the biggest theories is is that the um danny torrance it was is well not is but was subjected to sexual abuse by jack Mm.
0: um
1: and from the movie there is a uh sort of nod to this in the movie, uh, when Jack is waiting to get uh, his interview, he's sitting in a waiting room, like, or in the lo- in the lobby, and he has a Playgirl magazine in oh. his hand. And it's specifically a Playgirl magazine. And you wouldn't, and, like, anything that is on, in a movie set, or mostly, unless there's a continuity error, which I'll actually get to in a second.
0: Is there for a reason. It's there for
1: a reason. Yeah. It's 100% there for a fucking goddamn reason. Damn. So what they interpret is that Stanley wanted to interpret it, that uh Jack was sexually abusing Danny Torrance there's other like things to it go watch the documentary on the playgirl cover um, there is a you know how it's always like you know 10 ways to like lose weight blah 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 um, one of them is uh, like why parents have sex with their children <gasps> um, it's like that's one of the things Ew. and so they think that's a nod to like that theory being real um then also the second like sort of not a theory but just like a fun little Easter egg thing is that there are a lot of continuity problems in this film. There are also a lot of continuity problems in Stanley Kubrick's films because he takes so long to film his films and they're just very grueling um, um, and all the repetitive takes that would make it so hard for a script supervisor. Yeah, they're um, like, fuck my job. Yeah. And which is ironic because Kubrick is known to be like, he does so much because he wants to be, he's a perfectionist. But yeah, like, so he's the epitome of a perfectionist. Yeah. But there's all these continuity errors that come with it. So sorry if you heard a little growl. That was my stomach. <laughs> Um, so there's some there's some uh, continuity errors that people because they're so apparent, people think that they're there on purpose. Ooh, like because, what? Because um, in the book, Danny Torrance, uh, there's like an internal dialogue of him a couple times noticing that the hotel is moving stuff around, making things appear there that aren't there, Ooh. and like switching things and moving things when people aren't looking. In the movie, there's a table and chair disappear from the Colorado room entirely. Paper in Jack's typewriter is pulled out of the roller, then reappears in the roller, then is back there. That might be that's some totally, – I would say yeah. that's continuity error. Um, then there's like chairs in the golden room change position in consecutive scenes. And then a picture is shown in the lobby that later just together altogether disappears. Then Jack's typewriter changes from white to blue, Ooh. which that one is the biggest one where it's like, hey, that's like a big deal. Like, we think that it changes on purpose. Yeah,
0: like, fire the prop manager if they didn't get yeah. that through.
1: Um, so, yeah, those are, like, the theories. Um, I literally dived 10% into the, that documentary. That's cool. Uh, go watch that documentary. You don't need to listen to me. Go. It's, like, really good.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, I like it. So, more of the story, The Shining's pretty cool. The hotel's, like, not as as spooky as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, but and it's fun. Oh, my God, Stanley it's like a Kubrick fucking golden a, retriever. They win. Yeah, cat. there's a fucking golden retriever ghost dog and yeah. a ghost cat. So, like...
1: And what? then a Karen. Need
0: we be seen more. And a fucking Karen.
1: A freaking ghost Karen. We
0: should go there and stay in room 217 and see how Karen reacts to us. Because we're not married. You're gay. I'm bisexual. I'm gay. We I are... should
1: just like start sucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> like face down, ass up. She
0: like bitch slaps. I'm just, just getting like, like
1: London bridged. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Well, let's talk about our sex lives real quick. we have a work party to get Oh, to. yeah.
1: Mine's and, like, real quick. This past nine days has been uh, the shittiest nine days I think I've had in years. So, yeah it's okay though we're getting through what it it's over I, i'm touching stuff oh, okay dad. uh we did do dodgeball though and it was really fun yesterday and we got second place it was yes. awesome i fucked up my knee but it's cool it's cool i actually also haven't had sex in like the past 10 days so please send help
0: Me, Corey needs <laughs> sex now well i have had sex but my sex is really funny what happened So Jordan and I, this is the sex we had yesterday that I want to talk about because it's fucking funny. Yes. So I mentioned like uh, during the Halloween bonus episode that like the cats, every time we have sex, like they have to come running into the room. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Jordan and I were banging yesterday and he had me like my head like over the side, like yes. the corner of the bed, you know, like choking me, pulling my hair, just Fuck yes. fucking me. And S'mores loves attacking my hair. And then Jordan <laughs> like pulled me up like hard, like pull me forward, to, oh, you know, shit. sex stuff, good sex stuff. But S'mores, I guess the whole time was under playing with my hair. So when he pulled me up, S'mores like jumped up and like started attacking the shit out of my hair, in my head, like mid while we were fucking. And I, we were like, no, no,
1: You're no, like, God S'mores, damn it, like, S'mores, get out
0: of here. And so then like S'mores ran away for a second. And then we changed positions. We were like doing doggy style or something. Mm-hmm. And he was fucking me from behind. And I looked up and S'mores was just on the bed, her face like two inches away She's from like, my what bed. The <laughs> yeah, fuck? just staring at me. So then I put up covers to try to hide my head from <laughs> her. And she jumped through the covers to try to attack me. And then she jumped on the bed and jumped on Jordan's like back. Oh my God. And we were like, oh my God. So we had to kick out S'mores. We like threw out of the bed, slammed the door. And like two minutes later, both cats were like at the door, paws under the door, trying to get in. We were <laughs> fucking. It was like so funny. We were just like They're just
1: like not letting you have fun. Yeah, it
0: was we were just a couple of like dying laughing. It was so, so, so funny.
1: That's so cute. But
0: um, yeah, I I had a good week this past good. week. Good. Corey had a terrible oh week. Oh my god. I had a good week. Uh yeah, I had a good week, everyone, because I got a motherfucking Tesla. Uh, Tesla! My business partner bought me a Tesla. You were gi-
1: yeah, you were gifted a Tesla. I was
0: gifted a Tesla.
1: Yeah. By a business partner, so it was well deserved.
0: Yeah, by my business partner, but um, but yeah, so I I am now a bougie baddie bitch because now I'm rolling around on my Tesla and I'm feeling extra Fuck AF yeah. and I love I love uh, I love it. I, I actually I I never thought I could love a car <laughs> the way right? I love this car because it's like I yeah it's now my one of my best friends. I That's just so like it. but it's been a it's been a good good week because of that. My business partner was in town. Ooh, big news from that. Actually, I am invited to like a predominantly male business conference in las vegas this january yeah. like i got the invite this past week which is really crazy because i've been working hard for the past six years to be seen as equal and now being invited to this like three-day conference is really huge for me so i'm really excited and really nervous but, legit uh, it's gonna be great so anyways
1: house your sex
0: life bye guys bye.